It is a weird one. Um, this class is supposed to be a way of looking at God, um, ways of having a relationship with God that are based on anger, mm-hmm. emotion and anger. Um, and I think of all the emotions that humans have on a basic level, anger is probably the one that you would think is least suitable to have a relationship with God. Um, there's a number of reasons for that. We're going to get into some of them soon. Um, but the reason I think it's worth pursuing this anyways um, is similar to the reason I think it's worth pursuing a relationship with God that has to do with fear, uh, which is that fear and anger are basic human emotions, and they don't go away, even if like one is supposed to curtail them in some capacity. Um, they're always with us, and um, I think the best relationships we have in life are the ones that... Um, transfer through all different kinds of emotions, ones where we have something to say, something to contribute based on all different kinds of emotions. Um, and I think anger, because it's so strong, is, is one where you can really feel um, how important it is to have. So I don't want to say this is the primary way in which one should have a relationship with God, uh, but sometimes you know people do get angry. They get angry at God. They get angry at other people. And it's worth thinking about what that relationship might look like. Um, so like in talking about relationship with God that's based on fear, we can talk about this in two ways. We can talk about relationship with God where one is angry at God and relationship with God where one is angry at something else, something that's not God, but that that anger one feels towards something else, some aspect of the world, towards a person in one's life, towards one's, you know, situation, um, that anger informs the way one feels about God. Um, so the way to start is probably to look at the way that um, anger is dealt with in the Torah. Um, and you have anger as this really interesting incident um, between God and man at, uh, you know, in the beginning of Genesis, where God specifically kind of weighs in on how much people should feel angry. Um, so if you look at Genesis uh, 4, um, do you want to read this? Sure. Okay. Yeah, um, but in English. Sure. Yeah, yeah. In English. All right. But but Cain and his offering, God him with anger, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, "Why are you burning with anger? And why is your face fallen? Surely, if you do right, there is uplift. But if you do not do right, sin lies at the door. Its urges toward you, yet you can be its master." Okay. And I've, trans- I've uh, modified the translation a little bit. Vayichar, um, like from the, the notion of like from charad, that is uh, something burning, something like that's like in- incendiary, something that's. Um, Hot within one. What's the original translation? So the, uh, there's ones. Uh, what was the old one? Wrath. He was wrath, like wrath, I think, yeah. um, which didn't seem to work as well. And I think the new translation was was distraught. Came was distraught, but mm-hmm. I think that doesn't really capture it. Yeah, um, and certainly doesn't capture the fact that he murders his brother next. Um, so what do you get out of this text? Like, what is what kind of relationship to anger is God indicating or is Cain indicating? in this text? Um, well, it just is... Um, that it's kind of this um, almost like subordinate emotion. It's kind of like something that's to be overcome. Um, that, um, y- you know, if, if you... It's it, don't be angry. Just instead, like it's sort of like the opposite of free, it's the opposite of free will. You know, it's like, it's like you like why are you why are you angry? You can you can choose the what you know. 
right, what, so what your fate is, essentially. This is kind of, you know, and all the stories we have, the beginning of Genesis, feel like these kind of prototypical stories about human nature, um, like the story of the fall, uh, this story as well, that the first murder um, starts out with anger, and this is one of the first human emotions we see expressed in the Torah. And immediately, and this is pretty queer, God says, kind of steps in and says, not don't kill your brother, but says, don't be angry. Like, yeah, it, because if you are angry, then these other things are going to happen. And so that's another in- interesting aspect of this, is that God says that anger is dangerous, not because of anger itself, but because of what anger allows. Um, and it seems to allow in something else, something that is not you. Um, and so in verse 7, he says, like, if you, do not, if you do not do right, sin lies at the door. Sin is this kind of other object that's like waiting outside, waiting for you to be angry. Um, and all it takes is for a person to decide that they're not, um, that they're going to kind of not control their anger. So, so from the very beginning, there's this like linkage between anger and control. Is it the word loyalty to you? Mm-hmm. I mean, I see where that comes from, but is that a common, is that a common word? Um, I don't know. I don't know how frequently it appears. Uh, that particular um, way of conjugating the verb. I'm not sure. It's kind of an interesting... Like to do right. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I can't think of other instances offhand, but it's possible there are, there are, it's possible there are lots. Um, this notion that anger is something which is in all people but is also um, very dangerous shows up in the Talmud as well. So Babylonian Talmud says, it was taught, Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar said in the name of Chilfa uh, ben Agra, this is Shabbat 105b, in the name of Yochanan ben Nuri, one who rents his clothes in anger, one who brings his, his vessels in anger, and one who scatters his money in anger, you should consider him as though he is worshipping idols. For this is the craft of the evil inclination. Today he says, do this. Tomorrow he says, do that. Until he has told him, worship idols. And he goes and worships them. Rav Avin said, what is the verse that demonstrates this? It says in Tehillim, you shall have no foreign god in you, and you shall not bow to a strange god. What foreign god is within one's body? Say that this is the evil inclination. Mm-hmm. So, if, because the verse, if you translate it literally, literally says, you should not have a foreign god within you. So what does it mean to have a foreign god within one's own body? That can only mean evil inclination. And this kind of matches with what we saw earlier, this idea that the evil inclination, that sin is like this external thing that um, is tempting one constantly, um, and that anger is kind of this window that allows sin to kind of take control. So what it, anger is not just like this arbitrary emotion. Controlling one's anger seems to be kind of like the doorway into leaving, leading an ethical life. Um, like, you know, hello imitative, like, what is, how, how do you do justly? First step, like step number one, is control your anger. Um, because anger just like takes you to all these other places. Um, Have you read East of Eden, by chance? The Steinbeck book? Which no, is all, oh, it's all about this. What? Just paragraphs from it. I mean, it's, yeah. all, it's all about this. The whole book is about it, yeah, and it's just this fascinating gloss on you know, all of this. Right. And it seems like there's, I mean, this equation of like anger means. Um, lack of control means a kind of like not taking accountability for your own actions um, is connected to worshipping idols like kind of links together like all of the worst possible things you can imagine um, 
And so kind of this is the most basic choice that one gets to make, the choice between being angry and not being angry, which kind of like further down the road, we're going to have to think, well, if that's the case, then like why would you ever have a relationship with God that's based on anger? Mm-hmm. Anger seems like literally the devil. Mm-hmm. Um, how could you possibly do this? Um, and this notion that there's something kind of primal about it, that there's something in anger that gives you a window into like kind of the deepest, darkest elements of a person also shows up later in the Talmud, um, yeah, I guess later, on Erevin 65b, of Eli said, through three, three, sorry, through three things a person may be known, through his cup, through his purse, and through his anger. Kiso, sorry, koso, kiso, and kaso. Um, <laughs> Some say also through his laughter. Mm-hmm. But what's your sense? Like, what does that mean, through his cup, through his purse, and through his anger? Um, so what do you think through his cup means? I'm... It's like, uh, I mean, it's through, like, like eating and drinking. Yeah. Like sort of being, a, like, festive, like, uh, you know. Being so probably in the most limited sense means, like, drinking wine. Yeah. Like, when a person's drunk. Um, but it could, like, in some larger sense also mean, like, one's, like, inclinations towards food and drink. Yeah. So inclinations, okay, I see. Okay. So inclination towards money and inclinations towards that. Right. Okay. And, towards, like, what towards, you, what you, guess what you spend your money on. Like, what yeah. you, um, what you desire, in a sense, what you desire to buy. So why do you think these three things are, are linked together? Well, I mean, it's interesting, and this is kind of what I was, what I was starting to think about with the And I mean, these are all sort of these, these things that are inclinations, right? These are all things that are seen as, as things that, you know, can be... Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess it's interesting that, that, that in some sense that you, that you have to master, um, although... You know, and I have always understood that as you have to master and also sort of turn them towards good, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and so I, I'm, I'm interested in how that plays out with 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 anger. Right. Um, but um, I mean, it's interesting to me the idea that the, those are the things through which a person to be known. I mean, that's a very interesting formulation of it. So this is interesting. This is different from the previous two texts in that this is not really saying anger is good or bad. Um, yeah, it's simply saying like. These are three. These are three aspects of human beings. Um, they provide us some insight in, into humans. So, for, first of all, that indicates yes, anger is something that needs to be controlled. But at the same time, we also acknowledge that like people get angry, and not only do they get angry, but they're but when they get angry, that's a helpful indicator to us to understand who they are, what kind of character they have. Um, but what I think is what, part of what I think is going on here is that this notion of like, of, of looking at someone's anger suggests that um, it like it reaches into a person on a very deep level. Like, mm-hmm. and I think like this is you know the Talmud is not a Freudian document. The Talmud like the Talmud says at some point in Brachot like if you have a dream where you're sleeping with your mother, that's great. Like you know it's a positive <laughs> sign. Like not Freudian, not thinking at all along those terms, but like does understand that uh, your cup, your purse, your anger. And your laughter are these kind of like windows into your soul, uh, in some way. So, so it's very deep, and it's understood to be deep in all of these in all of these places. Mm. Um, but I mean, it's interesting. Yeah. How do you how do you combine that with? It's like a window on onto your soul, but it's also something that you have the power to sort of overcome. Right. I mean, uh, so is, is is what you're known by that that's the thing that you haven't overcome mm-hmm. in some sense, or right? So is it is it just saying like you know the perfect person shouldn't be known by any of these things because the perfect person like shouldn't be spending money on anything, shouldn't be drinking, and shouldn't be getting angry. Um, maybe shouldn't be laughing. That one's harder to fit in. But um, so it's possible to read it that way. Um, but it doesn't seem to be about like these are these are three bad characters. Yeah, it seems no, to be about like 
about um, just these are um, kind of key indicators uh, more than anything else. Um, so that's why I like the text is because it seems to be like you know um, a text about anger that is value neutral. Um, that being said, we know in previous classes we've looked at situations where like there's a radical shift between like Bible and Talmud and post-Talmud. Mm-hmm. This is not one of those places. Like this keeps going. Maimonides, um, you know, among other things, uh, in Mishnah Torah writes this book called Hilchot Deot, which is about um, one's character traits. Um, there's you can draw close parallels between uh, Hilchot Deot um, and Aristotle's virtue ethics. Uh, the notion that there are certain kind of qualities that people should um, tend towards. One of the important parts of Aristotle's system is that um, for most character traits, one should try to follow a middle path. Mm-hmm. That it is not good to be too frugal uh, or you know spend too much money. A middle path in most things. Um, so kind of everything in moderation. But um, Maimonides points out that there are a few character traits which where moderation is not the way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically, he says, there are traits which one is forbidden to possess in moderation. Rather, one must distance oneself from them to the utmost. These are haughtiness. Mm-hmm. And, and then he goes talk about, he talks about haughtiness and then says, and anger is an extremely wicked quality as well, and a person should distance oneself from it to the utmost and should teach himself not to become angry, um, even concerning something for which anger is warranted. If he mm-hmm. wishes to... So anger is not... Um, you know, it, anger is, is really ultimately like never justified mm. or is never something which is good to hold on to. Um, even in situations where you might you might think that is the case. Um, if he wishes to cast fear upon his children and the members of his house or upon a community, if he is a community leader and wishes to make them fearful so that they return to righteousness, then he should make himself appear to be angry in their presence in order to chastise them. But internally, he should remain, he should be calm. Like a person who feigns anger at a time when anger is warranted, but is not actually angry. Hmm. The earlier sages said that everyone who gets angry is as though he had worshipped idols, and they said that anyone who gets angry, if he is wise, his wisdom leaves him, and if he is a prophet, his prophecy leaves him. And they said that the life of a quick-tempered person is not life, and he goes on and talks about like all the, all the hmm. reasons why anger is, is the worst thing ever. Hmm. Um, why do you think Maimonides is so against like anger to any degree? Which is, I guess, this is not something we've seen before. We have, we, we know, we've seen that it's important to curtail one's anger, to have control over it. Um, but you know, there are other things you have to have control over as well. For example, like one's sexual urges, you have to have control over. But you know, Maimonides doesn't say that one should not have sexual urges. Like mm-hmm. those are, um, you know, those are still mm-hmm. fine. Why do you think anger specifically? He is just so dead set against um, one should try to eradicate it. Um, it's really interesting because it's clear the appearance of anger is not necessarily always a bad thing. Um, I mean, I think maybe that That there's sort of I don't know there's no benefit to others of it like mm-hmm. that there's not really a, you know that, that it's something that is I mean you could think about you know sexual urges direct correctly or eating and drinking correctly you know directed correctly is something that you know there's a it actually has positive aspects for other people right so one doesn't harness anger 
for good purposes when it's simply supposed to kind of eradicate it. And in that sense, like this really does fit the image of like being this like foreign body, like foreign entity that is like not part of one's core self. Um, it's so interesting because I mean, one could you know you could come up with a different way of looking at it, right? I mean, you could say that you know anger, anger at something that's not you know that's not righteous or something like. I mean, and certainly what you know one could come up with all kinds of examples of things that you could see that way in the Torah, right? I mean that you know that you know the harnessing of, of anger against. Uh, you know, you could tell the story of uh, one way of uh, well, how do you, you know what do you, what do you, is anger a part of the Exodus story? You know? mm. Right. So we're going to talk about like divine anger, especially in a second, yeah. because that is also like um, a major topic in the Bible and afterwards. Um, but there's something kind of strange about this this constant stream of of texts which are saying anger never good. Because it kind of suggests like there's something like wrong with us, like in in a in a sense that everyone is born with these instincts, which yeah. one is like then set out to totally eradicate. Um, yeah. Which I think is like not the story we tell ourselves about like other aspects of human behavior. Like yeah. this is really like a story of like people like need to take control, like and need to, then there's like something bad in people. Um, I mean, like Judaism has like varying um, you know streams of thought about like about the devil, the existence of the devil. Um, I think, like, the attitude towards anger really suggests, like, that there is, like, this other thing out there which is not good to have, hmm. um, which, is, which is strange to think about. Um, it suggests that people, in, in a sense, like, are born with this quality which is very primal and is very damaging, um, and as you said before, is, like, is destructive. Um, like, there's nothing good that comes out of anger um, and simply must be gotten rid of, even if, like, you know... You know, for some circumstances, it's important to feign anger because, like, you need to make, yeah. you need to kind of instill fear in other people. Even in those circumstances, like, one should maintain an internal calm because it's just so, it's just such a dangerous quality. Um, so, like, in the system for for Maimonides and seemingly for God also, in talking to in talking to Cain and talking to Cain, um, the perfect human beings are human beings who do not get angry. Mm-hmm. They they feel all kinds of other things. They have other urges, but they do not get angry. Um, and what's, I guess what's kind of weirder about this is that it seems like this is an almost impossible idea. No one, no one kind of lives up to this. Everyone gets angry at, at some point. Um, what's interesting about this train of thought that anger is this thing which exists and has to be um, eradicated is that it's true about humans and it's true about God. That there are passages which describe God's anger that describe God's anger as being like this inevitably bad thing. We do not want God to be angry. Um, not just because God's, you know, well, first of all, because God, God's anger is destructive, just like human's anger. Mm-hmm. And when God gets angry, then like bad things happen to human beings. Um, but just like humans, it also seems to be like the core quality of God, that mm-hmm. God gets angry. Like even more than the notion that, that God loves people, before that comes the idea that like God has anger, mm-hmm. and God could get angry, um, and that it is this kind of like phenomenal gift to humanity that God does not get angry all the time. And you see this in this like this very weird text. This is like weird for lots of different ways. Text in Babylonian uh, Talmud in Brachot, where um, and the Karaites, by the way, uh, Jewish sect in the Middle Ages, gets very upset. I get sorry, the Karaites live now too, but like they're a big mm-hmm. deal in the Middle Ages. Um, they get really upset with this text because it's like God being impersonated. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So in Brachot 7a, it was taught, Rabbi Yishmael ben Elisha says, I once entered into the innermost part of the sanctuary to offer incense. Um, let's remember, because like, some of the rabbis lived during the time of the temple. Or at least they said they did. Um, and saw Akatriel Yah, the Lord of hosts, seated upon a high and exalted throne. So is this God? Is this some kind of manifestation of God? Who knows? He said to me, Ishmael, my son, bless me. So God or an angel is asking a human being to bless him. I replied, may it be your will, here is a Mufanacha, like same formulation, that your mercy may suppress your anger and your mercy may prevail over your other attributes so that you may deal with your children according to the attribute of mercy and may on their behalf stop short of the limit of strict justice. Mm-hmm. And he nodded to me with his head. Here we learn incidentally that the blessing of an ordinary man must not be considered lightly in your eyes. Um, your meaning, like the people who are reading this, not God's eyes. Mm. Um, so this text suggests that here it is, there's this like kind of one opportunity just out of the blue where a rabbi gets to bless God and like to kind of tell God like, you know, what he hopes for God, like, you know, how, how he hopes that God should behave. And the thing that he thinks of first is like, do not get angry, mm-hmm. show mercy. Um, and that is interesting as well, like this play off of mercy versus anger, suggesting that like anger is the default, mercy is this thing which then comes over and kind of like um, defends against God's anger. But that like God in a, in a kind of, you know, as much as you can talk about it, like God in a primal, natural state is angry. Um, and this like, you know, this is not the only text that talks about God's anger. Like think about the ways that you describe God, especially like on the high holidays. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, that's like, a, slow yeah. to anger. Like yeah. suggesting yeah, yeah. like there is anger, but like what makes God wonderful is that God like um, controls that anger. Um, yeah. It does not get angry in the way that it could. Um, and this text goes on to say that like, you know, I guess the continuum text is even more interesting in that it suggests like even God kind of can't really control the anger. Like it's always there lying under the surface. And the impression you get reading this text is that God is kind of like this, this kind of um, entity that's just totally suffused with anger. And um, it's a kind of pressure that lets out once in a while. Um, and that it's only by this like, <laughs> massive amounts of effort that God can withstru- like, kind of withhold his anger. Um, so the continuation of the text says, Yofen said of the name of Yossi, how do you know that we must not try to placate someone when he is angry? This is a human being. Because it is written, my face will go and I will give you rest. The Holy One, blessed be he, said to Moses, wait until my wrathful countenance has passed, and then I shall give you rest. But is anger then a mood of the Holy One, blessed be he? So this, by the way, is a passage in Moshe, um, like, kind of seeing God face to face. So, like, Moshe is being told um, by God, Moshe, like, wait for the angry part of me to pass by. Hmm. Um... But is anger then a mood of the Holy One, blessed be he? Yes, for it has been taught and a God who has indignation every day. And how long does this indignation last? One moment, a rega. And how long is one moment? One fifty-eight thousandth, eight hundred and eighty-eighth part of an hour. And no creature has ever been able to fix precisely this moment except the wicked Balaam, <laughs> of whom it is written, he knows the knowledge of the Most High. So this suggests, like, that even God kind of has this, like, needs to have this outlet for his anger, and that if you know when that outlet is, then you can manipulate the universe and mm. get God to do things and, and get God to destroy. But he did not even know the mind of his animal, so how could he know the mind of the Most High? This is Bilam. 
The meaning is, therefore, only that he knew how to fix precisely this moment in which the Holy One, blessed be he, is angry. And this is just what the prophet said to Israel. This is Prophet Bilam. Oh, my people... Oh, sorry, this is uh, uh, Micha. Oh, my people, remember now what Balak's uh, king of Moab devised and what Bilam, the son of Bor, answered him. That you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. What does it mean that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord? Rabbi Eliezer said, The Holy One, blessed be he, said to Israel, See now how many righteous acts I performed for you in not being angry in the days of the wicked Bilam. He's saying, like, I did you this additional service. Usually I let my anger out. And even that kind of, like, tiny sliver of the day, that, like, microsecond of the day when I'm angry, I withheld it because I knew that Bilam would take advantage of it. <laughs> for had I been angry, not one remnant would have been left of the enemies of Israel. And enemies of Israel is kind of like a euphemism for Israel. Um, and this, too, is the meaning of what uh, Bilam said to Balak. How shall I curse one whom God has not cursed? And how shall I loathe whom the Lord has not loathed? Well, this teaches us that he was not angry all these days. How enemies of Israel is a euphemism for Israel? Yeah, in this passage, it seems to be a euphemism for Israel. Huh. Not wanting to say that, you know, not wanting to, like, kind of spell out, like, not one remnant would have, made, would have remained of Israel. That's, like, that's too frightening mm. of a thought mm. to, to say. Um, yeah. So, again... There's a suggestion here that even God's anger is ultimately not controllable. Even God ultimately has these bits of anger and, um, and you know, needs this kind of release. Although it, there is some indication that even that release is kind of optional, that God can kind of, like, withdraw that release from when need be. Hmm. Um, so what's fascinating about these texts is that, like, kind of across the board, both for humans and for God, there is this sense of both extreme, like, anger as a default, anger as a base, and also this high praise given to all attempts to withhold withhold anger, uh, praising God, saying, like, one of God's major qualities is that God withholds anger, and saying that should be one of human qualities, too. Rambam saying, like, what, yeah, you should really try to limit your anger as much as possible, because it's, because it's dangerous. Like, um, so, there's something just kind of strange about all of this, suggesting uh, again, like with this notion of the devil, that like even God is kind of like beholden or could be beholden to this thing, uh, which is which like needs to, which you need to kind of like um, hold yourself against. And it's like it's unclear how to think about that. Like if it's not this kind of like separate entity which has a mind of its own, like it just wants to destroy all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, there is some there's some hint of it. Um, I don't know like how far to take this um, in source number five that. In Rabbi Yishmael ben Elisha, when he when he kind of gives this blessing to um, a Katriel, he says, "So that you may deal with your children according to the attribute of mercy, and may on their behalf stop short of the limit of strict justice." So it doesn't say anger in that situation, but says strict justice. That's a common, you know, yeah. dichotomy, right? I mean, and so I guess the question, yeah, how is how does anger relate to that idea of justice? Right, so it suggests in a way that, uh, and, and this maybe is a way of thinking about anger that isn't about a default, so that isn't about like a kind of like separate entity of, with a mind of its own, that anger is just the way that people would normally react if it were not for this kind of like secondary um, element of people or secondary element of God that kind of withholds that. And then it's not, it's not an entity of its own, it's just kind of strict logic, like strict justice What's what word I'm looking for where that's um, that is the second last line um, towards the end of the line. 
before okay, yeah. the line, before the letter of the line. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. So, okay. so that's like, that's like, what is anger? Anger is just like, anger is kind of like formulaic. Um, which maybe is, is a way towards a solution, suggesting that like, anger is not this kind of, you know, you know the, the portrayal of, of, of anger, anger is bad is something that we're doing. But like, what anger is at its base is just like, that's what we are. Like, we are, we are all kind of like, very quick to judge. We have no mercy. Um, even God has no mercy, and like God, kind of on a basic level, would simply go by the book. Um, so it suggests that what it means to kind of like live in this world, both for humans and for God, is to have mercy and to go beyond that, like to go beyond like the letter of the book, um, the letter of the law. Um, like that's the entire project of like of human existence, like from Cain onwards, and including God. Um, and the better you are at with, withstanding that, like, that means the more of, like, an advanced human being you must be. Um, so, this is all a, a kind of as a frame um, to think about, well, given that anger is there, given that the rabbis understand anger to be this kind of, like, basic, this primal thing, this kind of default thing, so, like, how could one possibly have a relationship with God that is based on this primal thing? It's, inter- it's, uh, what you say is, it's just interesting... I mean, because you don't necessarily think about the letter of the law as being a primal thing, right? I mean, you know, and, and in fact, I mean, one one way that people often think about, you know, this sort of attribute of mercy, and 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 you know, and there's a lot, there's plenty of, of sort of American legal doctrines that sort of all this is kind of you know, this sort of American legal doctrine of the sort of absurd result. You can't interpret the letter of the law so that it leads to an absurd mm-hmm. absurd result, which is really interesting because that's, I mean, what it's really saying is the absurd result is something about, something that we think about, you know, you know innately this this doesn't make sense. And it's, it's sort of hard to reconcile the idea that you know, the, the letter of the law is something that is, you know, the, in that case, the letter of the law is not really necessarily some kind of primal mm-hmm. thing. It's actually something that sort of offends some kind of other more primal thing. Uh, so you're saying that the other part is also primal, right? That, they're, that they're, it's not like, you know, here's like the basic level and like above that there's this kind of secondary like block, like the superego, like the blocking mechanism. Um, but actually like they're both primal and they're both like kind of struggling with each well, other. Well, and, and then maybe even the, the letter of the law part is not, a, is not primal. It's, it's, it's almost this sort of, you know, rationalistic thing that, I mean, that, that is, uh, you know, it has to be this way because it says it has to be this way, not mm-hmm. necessarily because you're your intuition is that it's it's that way. So it's it's interesting to equate those things because they don't they don't strike me as things that are always the same right. thing. Right. Um, I think you're right. And I guess what what's contradictory in the source that we're looking at is that we're thinking about anger in two ways. We're thinking about anger as both this kind of like basic, kind of like cold logical um, way of operating, and this other way, which is like anything but cold. It's all about, like, you know, passion and vengeance and, yeah. like, rage. Um, that seems to be, like, if I was reading the story of Cain, like, I wouldn't yeah. say, like, Cain is operating according to the letter of the law. Yeah. Like, uh, it seems like he's operating according to, like, some, like, very local feeling. Uh, and I don't really know how to reconcile those, like, two ways of thinking about it. I mean, although there's also kind of, uh, I mean, one could say that it's sort of a, um, well, I mean, it doesn't actually fit. That. I was going to say, you know, there's there's a way of thinking about the letter of the law as like uh, as sort of maxims, like you know, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, you know, mm-hmm. which you could 
Actually, really fit what happens in that story, but you know, you could see it as sort of something more like that. Or something like yeah, that. I mean, that's an interesting example, just because, like, you know, that seems to be what the Torah wants. Like, the Torah says that's right, what right, 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 right. I mean, you could read that as like that's kind of the default, and then the rabbis are the merciful ones. The rabbis are the ones who say like, oh, that's actually about money. Yeah, uh, but that, like, I think it's kind of weird to read the Torah as being like the, the like you know Shurat Hadin, and the rabbis are like Lifanim Shurat Hadin. But yeah, I, so I don't. Well, but that, I mean that's true in many cases, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah, it's just like as an image, like to think about like as to think about the Torah as like this thing that needs to be restrained uh, by the rabbis. Like, um, I mean, I, I think sometimes that's, that is how we think of it. I think it's like a kind of basic model to think about what the rabbis are doing. Um, it's kind of unsettling to think about that. Um, think about this, the Bible as being like this kind of destructive document that needs to be um, needs to be restrained. Um, I don't know. There's some of the kind of like. That, that I mean, I think there's another way to look at it, you know, which is that it's um, that if you think about it as, I mean, this is sort of how I think think about it, which is you know, the Torah, the document that is that is that is written in a language that has to do with a, a certain set of mores and, and and cultures, and what the rabbis are doing, and what you know, I think, I think you know, what people should be continuing to do today is interpreting. That that language, which is it, itself not itself the commandments, it, it is a, you know a, a, a commandments as reflected in that language, interpreting that you know in sort of a response to evolving mores. Yeah, we can do that. I think like I think that's what we should be doing. Um, what just what I struggle with is the image of like the Torah as being simply this kind of like basic primal document because I think the Torah itself is like you know as a response to other things. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah, I'm just like wondering how, like, how to. It unsettles me, like, how far to go with that image because I'm not sure it's entirely accurate. Um, well, I think it's. I mean, in many cases, it's, it's a less primal document than sort of the competing documents of right. cultures of the time. And so, you know, we may see that today. We may see an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, for a tooth today as a, a primal concept, but it actually, in the context of the time. You know, and I don't know the specific counter example there, but you know, may actually be something that is sort of saying, you know, that that's actually less primal than some other alternative. I mean, I think that like that what you're talking about is, is I think that the basic assumption you have to go into um, as you know a halacha Jew in approaching rabbinic text and approaching the Torah, which is that you have to go in with this good faith assumption that like this is a document which is intending to to do good for people. Mm-hmm. And I think if you don't go with that assumption, then like it's very difficult to um, have any kind of respect for these texts or interpret them in the way as ways in which like they're valuable to read. Um, so, yeah. Um, okay. So we have a bit of a conundrum now. On the one hand, um, we're supposed to be talking about relationships with God based on anger. On the other hand, anger, whether it's a cold anger or a hot anger, um, is something which needs to be uh, contra- uh, controlled. Um, and maybe I think the way to divide this up is actually to go into four quadrants um, to think about four different kinds of relationships with God that are based on feeling the emotion of anger um, the first of these is and, and so kind of like if you think about these quadrants in your head um, you know across the top we'll have like anger towards God anger towards other things and then Along, you know, going down, we'll have um, expressing that anger, like feeling that anger, and withholding that anger. So 
So like, so you can have, you know, expressing your anger towards God, withholding your anger towards God. Like having that anger, but withholding it. And then you can also have, you know, expressing your anger towards other things and having a relationship with God based on that, that expressed anger. And then withholding your anger from God, from other things and having a relationship with God based on that withholding of anger. And I think, like, um, those are kind of, like, the four... Like, if you want to think about this as a, as a rubric, those, those are kind of the four quadrants that can look at that. Um, so, to talk about one of them. Um, we have a story in Bamidbar about Pinchas. Pinchas, um, uh, the story of Pinchas... Uh, should we read this? Or should we just say it outside? Um, well, I mean, I might have familiar okay. with the... Right, so, yeah. you know, there is a crisis within Jewish people. I don't know exactly what it is, but um, but it seems to be like some other people is, um, you know, there are these harlots coming in and kind of tempting uh, the Jews from Moab, mm-hmm. um, or there's, uh, you know, idolatry. Something bad is going on. There's some crisis in the camp, and this is... Um, going badly for the Jews, and it's causing this plague to happen among the Jews. And so something needs to happen. Um, Moshe issues this command in verse number five, slay everyone, his men that have joined the, the battle of Peor. And yet what happens is this kind of like really flagrant, um, you know, transgression. Behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought to his brethren a Midianitish woman <laughs> in the sight of Moses, in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel, while they were sleeping at the door of the tent of meeting. Okay, so this is the worst thing ever. Now, in verse 7, what happens? Pinchas, the son of Elazar, the son of Aharon, the priest, saw it. He rose up with it from the midst of the congregation, took a spear in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the chamber and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. And those that died by the plague were twenty and four thousand. And so there's this kind of reaction from Pinchas, um, this pretty violent death, uh, or double, double murder, or double killing. Um, and what's God's response? Pinchas, in verse 11, Pinchas, the son of uh, Elazar, the son of Aharon, the priest, has turned my wrath away from the children of Israel. I'm no longer angry at the children of Israel. And in that, in that he was very jealous for my sake among them, so that I consume not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Wherefore say... Behold, I give him my covenant of peace, and it shall be for him and for his progeny after him the covenant of everlasting priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. So, there's clearly anger in the story. God says explicitly, you know, I was angry at Israel, and now I'm not angry anymore, and the reason I'm not angry seems to be because Pinchas in some way has gone and done in a small way, like the kind of enacted the, the rage that God is feeling. It's fascinating. Yeah, I never focused him for the Pentecostes, like, from Aaron's line, and it's fascinating. Yeah, and, and so, and what's, what's striking is, like, that, you know, he's, he's rewarded for, for this with yeah. the covenant of peace, this breed shalom, um, forever, which is for his descendants further on. Um, so, this I, I would place in, kind of, an anger that exists towards others, and an anger that is expressed. Mm-hmm. But that anger that is expressed towards others in some ways forms this relationship with God. Um, and I guess we'd call this, you know, zealotry. Uh, you know, kind of this righteous anger, this anger that is on God's behalf. Um, now, I think this is like a kind of troubling anger for us. The idea that, you know, 
you can kind of relate to God, you can have this relationship with God by kind of um, acting on the fact that humans and God both share this very primal anger. Um, and that one can, in a sense, release God's anger by enacting a small part of it. Um, I think like this is one of the things that makes the story of Pinchas so troubling, that he is, on the one hand, doing what he is supposed to do, but on the other hand, it's like very violent. It also seems to be uncontrolled. No one asked him to do it. Um, and he is rewarded as a result. Um, so enacting this anger is, I think, problematic, there's a slightly different way of thinking about a kind of relationship with God that's based on anger towards others in verse number nine, which is apropos because we're about to go into the Sidarim. We know one of the verses we say towards the end of the Seder, which I guess is also problematic, is Pour your wrath out upon the nations who do not know you, and upon the kingdoms which do not call your name. So again, like not it's you know, we're not the ones going out and doing it, but we are kind of connecting to God over an anger that we feel towards, like, the things that have been perpetrated against us. Here, as opposed to Pinchas, Pinchas kind of, like, says, God is feeling angry. I'm going to channel God's, God's anger. This is the reverse. This is, this is us saying, we feel angry. We want God to channel our anger. We want, um, um, you know, if I can, if I can kind of, like, psychoanalyze this verse for a second. Um, this verse is coming from a place of, actually, human beings feeling angry, um, and kind of wanting God to um, to avenge them. So, even, you know, despite all of the references we've seen so far towards uh, anger being this terrible thing which humans and God should eradicate, there is also this tendency to say like it doesn't always go away. There are some situations, especially when it seems there are uh, there are horrible things perpetrated against Israel when wrath is warranted, warranted by God and warranted by human beings, and that people can connect to God over that shared desire, um, and that, like, in that there's, maybe because um, anger is just so primal, and because um, the object of anger can be so absolute, and so, it can be such a black and white emotion, human beings and God can actually, like, kind of connect in that sense, like, they can kind of, like, feel the same thing in some way, um, and either have human beings, like, kind of executed, or having God executed, but either way, it's like, that shared emotion, and I don't think that you can say that for many things, that, like, human beings and God, like, are not just sharing, like, sharing the same emotion, but are sharing the same object of that emotion. That, like, human beings are feeling feeling angry at the nations, and God is feeling ha- angry at the nations. Like, everyone is, like, we're kind of all on the same page here. And so, kind of, anger kind of exists in these spaces in opposition to, like, into some other entity, some hated entity. Um, now, whether this is a good thing to have or not, I don't know if we can, like, I, I'm not sure, like, that. that's the point of this class. I think part of it is just a kind of catalog, like this is a mode of relationship with God, and it's actually a pretty powerful one, if you're feeling it. If you're not feeling it, it's troubling, uh, because it's so strong. Like if you and God are not really on the same page, it's very troubling. If you don't feel like you're angry at the nations, but, but you know, God apparently is, then it's really troubling. But if you are on the same page, it's amazing. Um, you have, I guess in, in the second quadrant, um, I don't know if it's second, first, whatever, um, the idea of having a relationship with God where you are angry at God and having a relationship with God be based on that anger. And I think that is, you know, it seems kind of impossible. I think where you see it uh, most is in post-Holocaust theology mm. uh, where you have, you know, extreme anger at God yet still this interest in, in a connection to God. 
um, and connection to God partially because of that anger. And I think like this is not true about just God, but I think this is true about like uh, in people's lives, um, you know, where there's relationships with parents which are maybe not the best, or when you know you might be angry at your parents. Um, in those kind of situations, like there still is a relationship. It's just based on anger, and sometimes like having that anger is better than having nothing at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where people will be, you know, they'll be happier like, you know, have a parent who is living and you just be like furious at that parent and maybe not even speak to them. Um, but like when that parent passes away, like there's like this really sense of, of loss. So especially I think after the Holocaust, when people are asking, well, where is God in all of this? I think one of the ways of kind of affirming a relationship with God in those situations is saying like, he's right there and he didn't do a damn thing and he should have. Mm-hmm. And my relationship with God is going to be based on the fact that God didn't do that. Now, th- how far does that go down the line? I'm not sure. Like, does that like, is that like a teachable theology? Is that something you should be teaching kids? Like, you know, rule number one, kids, like we all hate God. Like, I don't think that's the way it goes. But I think for many people, I think like especially for, for Jews have kind of like fallen out of step with the religion, it's really, really powerful. Uh, to be able to kind of say, like, I hate God, um, I'm angry at God, is liberating, in a sense, because it allows you to affirm a relationship with God and allows you to have a continuing relationship with God, even in those moments. Uh, because, like, I think, like, this is one of the things that we keep coming back to, that one of the scariest things is not just, like, to have a bad relationship with God, but to have, like, God be disappearing. Like, to have God be gone from one's life entirely. That's even worse having a bad relationship with God. I think I'm lost in the quadrants. Can you briefly sure. go over again? Yeah. Like, so trying to draw a diagram. <laughs> sure. So, like, so there's kind of two variables. Okay. Um, one variable is, is there anger at God, or is there anger at something else, or somebody okay, else? Okay, okay, so that's... Because um, you can have... So, like, we saw, for example, you know, Pinchas is not mad at God. Pinchas right, right. is mad at, like... And that's, that's, also, that's also true, the wrath upon the nations. Yeah. And then the question is, for each of those things... Do you express that anger, or do you withhold that anger? So you can have a relationship where you are expressing anger at something else, something that's not God, and have your relationship to God be about saying, I'm expressing anger at this other person, at this other thing. That's zealotry. It's saying, like, I'm angry at, like, the sinners. God is also angry at the sinners. And so my relationship with God is about our shared anger at the sinners. That's expressing your anger at, uh, and having a relationship with God through expressed anger at others. And the other one is withholding that expression? Yeah, so, we're, so we'll talk about that. Um, okay, so, so we like, haven't into that. Having a relationship with God that's based on withholding your anger at the sinners, or whoever. Okay, so um, everything we've talked about so far is involved expressing anger. Yeah, okay. So, um, so just like to finish this part. Um, so expressing your anger at God and having a relationship with God be about expressing that anger. Um, I and think so the, the example from the Psalms is still that, yeah. expressing... The anger and the anger is something else. The difference is that there the anger is sort of shared with God, which is another variable. Right. It's not okay. That's why. Right, right, yeah. Sorry, that is confusing. Right. So, so uh, source number eight and source number nine, both source about Pinchas and also Shvuchamatcha, are both examples of expressing anger at something else and having a relationship with God be about that. The only difference is that with Pinchas, the anger seems to come from God, and Pinchas decides to take up that anger and enact it. And in source number nine, it seems like the anger is coming from people, and they're calling on God to kind of enact their anger and like to feel anger and pour out their anger along with them. Um, source number ten is an example of expressing one's anger at God um, and having a relationship with God based on one's anger at God, anger with God. Um, so the best ex- example of this, I think, is from um, source we've looked at before. I think 
Tzvi Kolitz's book, Yosef Lerach, Over Talks to God, which is a fictional account of a kind of diary, or kind of like a letter wrote, written to God um, at the very, you know, wh- where someone is um, in the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising and is like about to be killed and is writing this. I believe in the God of Israel even when he has done everything to make me cease to believe in him. I believe in his laws even when I cannot justify his deeds. My relationship to him is no longer that of a servant to his master, but of a student to his rabbi. I bow my head before his greatness, but I will not kiss the rod with which he chastises me. I love him, but I love his Torah more. Even if I were disappointed in him, I would still cherish his Torah. God commands religion, but his Torah commands a way of life, and the more we die for the way of life, the more immortal he is. God of Israel, he said, I have fled to this place so that I may serve you in peace, to follow your commandments and glorify your name. You, however, are doing everything to make me cease believing in you. But if you think that you will succeed with these trials in deflecting me from the true path, then I cry to you, my God and the God of my parents, that none of it will help you. You may insult me, you may chastise me, you may take from me the dearest and the best that I have in the world. You may torture me to death, I will always believe in you, I will love you always and forever, even despite you. So it seems like there, there's kind of like this insistence on like, I will maintain a relationship, I'll maintain a relationship with love, but I'm not going to do it for your sake, I'm going to do it actually because I hate you. I'm going to do it because I'm, like, supremely angry at you. And I think, like, the, the word angry isn't used in these paragraphs, but I think, like, there's anger lying behind it in that. Um, there's this sense of, like, you know, um, my anger with you actually leads me to, like, continue loving you in this moment. Um, because it's that love, but this kind of, like, distorted, kind of, um, like, carnivalesque love is, is, well, is so ridiculous at this moment. Why isn't that overcoming the anger? What, what, sorry, why isn't that? Why, why isn't it? Why is that expressing anger versus overcoming anger? I mean, why isn't that saying, you know, my inclination is towards anger, but I'm instead, you know, I'm I'm responding to that by expressing love. Mm. I guess you can imagine it. You can imagine it that way too. I think this could also be a good example of someone who's like feeling that anger, but is also saying like I'm going to withhold it. I, I guess the reason I don't say that is because like it's so clear that like when he talks about loving God. Like, he doesn't mean the same kind of love as he did before. I think what he means is some kind of, like, is some kind of, like, um, um, going through the motions relationship. This kind of, like, um, I guess specifically, like, insistence on clinging to the Torah, mm-hmm. um, even despite God's horribleness, um, suggesting that this isn't real love anymore. Um, yeah. Um, or, or maybe it is. Or maybe this, or maybe this is saying... I mean... You know, in a way, it depends on how you read this. Like, it depends on, like, on um, whether you read this kind of sincerely or sarcastically. I was reading more sarcastically. I was reading mm. this as him as saying, like, you know, you know, yep, I'll still love you, but but it not being a real love. But you could also read it as being, um, you know, no, I really will love you always and forever. Um, and that's kind of like him demonstrating some kind of... Um, some kind of undeserved uh, relationship with God, a relationship with God that God does not deserve. What is the servant to his master and student to his rabbi? Um, that's a good question. I think part of it is about like talking about uh, loving Torah more than God. Um, that um, he is, you know, he's not blindly following anymore, but he's kind of learning something. Like he's kind of like learning from, uh, he's kind of learning from God. Um, but he's not taking orders from God anymore. Um, and, you know, part of it might be, like, learning how to behave from God. Like, maybe learning, maybe it's about learning about anger uh, based on that. Um, yeah. 
So, you know, let's revisit that in a second because, I, you know, I was searching like throughout, uh, you know, when I was printing together this class, I was searching for a source that talked about a relationship with God where one is angry at God but one withholds that anger. And it's possible that the source is a good example of that too. So let's go to the next source and then we'll kind of like double back to it. Um, so now let's talk about withholding anger. First of all, withholding anger at others. And I think one of the things that's interesting is that in the way that one can kind of commune with God through a shared anger, one can also commune with God with a shared withholding of anger. Um, and this is this has a strong tradition in uh, in Jewish thought and especially mystical thought. Um, so just as we saw before that, like, what is the most basic characteristic of God? It's that God withholds his anger. We see that what it means to mimic God is to withhold one's anger. Um, and I think like, this is not a far stretch from what we've seen so far. You have a book that talks about this, the Tomer Devorah, describes God's attributes based on three verses in, um, in the book of Micha, um, and kind of like parses those verses and uses every phrase to describe like a different attribute of God and saying how people can live out that attribute. So um, one of these attributes is um, where it says part one, who is a God uh, like unto thee? This refers to the Holy One, blessed be he. As a patient king, bears insult in a manner that is above human understanding. For behold, without doubt, there is nothing hidden from providence. Furthermore, there is no moment when man is not nourished and does not exist by virtue of the divine power which flows down upon him. It follows that no man ever sins against God without the divine affluence pouring into him at that very moment, enabling him to exist and to move his limbs. Despite the fact that he uses it for sin, that power is not withheld from him in any way. But the Holy One, blessed be he, bears this insult and continues to empower him to move his limbs, even though he uses the power in that moment for sin and perversity, um, offending the Holy One, blessed be he, who is nonetheless uh, suffers it. Nor must you say that he cannot withhold this that good, God forfend, for it lies in his power in the moment it takes to say the word moment, to wither the sinner's hand or foot, as it did to Yerobam. Um, he, he kind of paralyzes Yerobam's limbs. And yet, though it lies in his power to arrest divine flow, and he might have said, if you sin against me, do so under your own power, but not mine, meaning like God is actually providing humans the capacity to sin. God is kind of enabling sin because like everything comes from God. He does not, on this account, withhold his goodness from man, bearing the insult, pouring into his power and bestowing of his goodness. This is to be insulted and bear the insult beyond words. This is why the ministering angels refer to the Holy One, blessed be he, as the patient king. And this is the meaning of the prophet's words. Who is God unto thee? He means thou, the good and merciful art God, with the power to avenge and claim thy debt, and yet thou art patient and bearest insults until man repents. Behold, this is a virtue man should make his own, namely to be patient and allow himself to be insulted, even to this extent, and yet not refuse to bestow his goodness to the recipients. So, if you are in a situation where you are feeling angry or you feel like I have good reason to be insulted here, I think like this goes to Maimonides also saying like, what does it mean really to get rid of your anger? It means that you don't get angry even at the moments when you deserve to get angry. Mm. So if you're in those moments where like you're in a situation where you deserve to get angry, when you withhold that anger, you are doing exactly what God does every single day. Mm. That's ex like that is in a way like you replicating the conditions that allow for the existence of the universe itself. Because the universe itself is a sinful universe, and the only reason it exists is that God withholds anger and withholds vengeance. Um, and what I would say was interesting about this is that well. both the feeling of anger there, the feeling of like, I want to be angry here, and then the decision to withhold that is exactly what God goes through. Mm 
Um, so this, I mean, look, I, I think like we, we think that withholding your anger is important, but I think like this elevates that withholding of anger to a totally different level. Yeah. It's not just like one more good quality along with charity, along with like righteousness, along with like doubting three times a day. Like this is like the quality, like not getting angry is like the one thing that can connect you to God, um, together with other things. And I think part of this is to suggest, like, I think part of the reason that um, this is helpful is to think about, like, if God can do it, so can I. Um, that both, like, God provides a model for, for actions. Look, you know, all the things that God does that God kind of forgives and God, um, God allows for, um, humans should act similarly. Hmm. Um... And I think, like, just to drive home the point, like, this is, this is how the world is created. And I think also, like, to connect, again, that idea of, like, a cold anger and a hot anger. There's this really amazing text in Bereshit Rabba that tr- describes, like, the conversation that happens around the creation of human beings. Rabbi Shimon said, at the time when God was creating the first person, the ministering angels formed different groups and factions. Among them, some said not to create the first person, Adam Rishon, and some said to create him. Thus it is written, mercy and truth are met together. Chesed ve'emeth. Righteousness and peace... Tzedek Shalom have kissed each other. Mercy said, as as though mercy is embodied, create him, for he will perform acts of loving kindness. Truth said, do not create him, for he is completely false. Righteousness said, create him, for he will perform righteous deeds. Peace said, do not create him, for he is entirely violent. What did God do? He took truth and threw him to the ground, as it says, and it cast truth to the ground. Suggesting that, like, I mean, this is, like, amazing just for so many different reasons. But, like, for these particular circumstances, there's, there's an anger in this text. But I think, like, Emet serves that. Emet is not... Emet is, like, kind of a, you know, an objective, like, the cold light of day truth. Like, human beings are sinners. Human beings, like, do destructive things. Um, they are not... Like, they are false. Um, and God, like, makes a decision, given that knowledge, like, given uh, to say, like, to throw that to the ground, whatever that means, to kind of like um, have truth not be on that same level. Isn't isn't the after um, uh, eating from the tree and gone Eden that the is the uh, I mean the knowledge is well no no it's the opposite I'm sorry the the, the idea is that the knowledge the knowledge before that is the knowledge of truth and, and falsehood right and and that's being re- and that's replaced by good and evil uh, so that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. So knowledge of like knowledge of good and good and evil is what it, what it is. Yeah. But isn't isn't there isn't there a midrash about it? Or maybe it's maybe a midrash that 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 what the, the knowledge of good and evil replaces the knowledge of truth and falsehood, mm. and that and that the idea is that somehow, um, if I looked at the text, I probably would remember what the, where that where that all comes from. But it, I think there's yeah, I think there's a whole midrash that there's sort of like that what what. Um, Adam and Eve knew before. The idea is that you know they, they were they were tempted by the knowledge of good and evil, uh, and that but that what the knowledge, they did have a different type of knowledge before, and that knowledge was the knowledge of, of truth and falsehood, which mm-hmm. is very actually strange when you think about it in, this, in the context of this. Well, you do have all kinds of midrashim about the qualities of um, Adam and Eve before uh, before they leave Gan Eden, and it seems like they are superhumans, like both in that like. They seem they would have lived forever, it seems, mm-hmm. um, or could have could have had the possibility of living forever, or that they could like see through the entire world, or that like they were huge, that they're like giant human beings, or that like they glowed, 
Um, this is true, like, in Jewish sources, it's true in Christian sources, and it's true in Islamic sources as well, but, like, there's kind of, like, a specialness. Um, but that, um, something is sacrificed um, um, when they leave Gan Eden. Um, but it seems like that sacrifice is also part of, like, the conditions of the world itself. And I think something you see in Kabbalistic texts, uh, especially in Luriana Kabbalah, is that the conditions for the world's existence are imperfection. Like, something, God has to sacrifice perfection for the world to exist. And that, um, in, like, a really core, and this is all, it doesn't always describe in the language of anger, but, like, in a very core way, like, the world existing is less perfect than the world not existing. It would be more perfect if the world does not exist and God was just alone by himself. Because God is perfect. Um, for the and, ang- and, and, and anger, you're saying anger is arguably part of that perfection in the sen- sense of uh, the kind of, uh, I mean, the, 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 in, in, in a perfect world, then, you know, this anger just kind of becomes expressed and everything gets... Yeah, so what, what's so interesting about these texts is that, like, they're associating with a human emotion with this feeling of, like, primality, but also, in a sense, truth. Yeah. In a sense, like, correctness. Um, you know, um, and, you know, that's interesting as well. Like, just that, you know, maybe one has to, like, ha- have a little bit of a less true world. Uh, it may actually be better that way. And, like, maybe constructing, like, a good life is, like, about having something a little bit less true. I, I'm also well, that, that, this is related, yeah. So the, 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 this, this thing I'm, I'm trying to remember I this whole midrash, this is, that's what this is about, is mm-hmm. the, the idea that, that you know that these are these two things are actually different things right. you know and, and and that and that and that and that is sort of good and evil re- replaced and then there's a part of it that talks about right. how you know it, and that that this sort of this messianic ideals are, are linked to some kind of restoration of the of truth um, you know I know that um I think psychologists talk about this for people who are depressed so like people who are depressed actually are a little bit more truthful mm-hmm. um, about the world um, that you know being like being in a state of depression actually um, gives one some insight about like the way things really work but it's still depression and so there's a kind of trade-off um, mm-hmm. that goes with um, like living in the world as like a as a happy as a continuum being and like part of that trade-off is like is imperfection and, and specifically imperfect knowledge so it's like an interesting lineup of like human emotions and like objectivity and like you know the the letter of the law, all going together um, with this feeling of anger. Uh, so it's like this is like a not not just like the burning rage that like you might think about. It's like it's something a little bit more than that. Um, that is the anger that's, that's being described. And I think these sources line up in ways that you wouldn't normally expect them to. I think you, you wouldn't normally like think about like cold anger and hot anger as being similar. Um, but it seems like they are in these texts. So and when you say, and are you equating cold anger? I'm a little bit confused by what you're using sure. to me. Are you are you equating that with essentially with sort of this ju- justice, this kind of cold anger, like yeah, so I mean, rules like, and you know right. What I would normally say is like unfeeling, but it's like what's strange about it is it seems to be equated with feelings. Yeah. At least in the at least in brachot, um, that like going according to the letter of the law is the same thing as having wrath. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Kind of like serves the same place in that sentence. Um, yeah, so that's what, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like just a cold, dispassionate uh, dispensation of justice. Yeah. Um, even where that may uh, lead towards um, destruction of various kinds. I mean, and there's other texts like this as well, like saying like if the world was ruled according to Bidat Hadin, like the you know the like the, 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 the quality of judgment, of judgment um, or, yeah. then like the world could not exist. It's only yeah. because of the Chesed that the world couldn't exist. 
Um, so, but there's a play. I mean, the 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 the, the, the thing about I mean, there's but there's in, in that kind of text, right? I mean, there's 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 a place for the quality of judgment, right? I mean, and like you think about, you know, that's I mean that that's still an important, like, I mean, not right? Like in, in a lot of right, but it's important that it gets withheld. Like it's important, like to know that it exists, but that like kind of it exists for the purpose of being, so that it can be overcome. Um, that it's maybe it pokes through here and there, but like ultimately it's supposed to be overcome. Um, um, so we've looked at three conduits so far. Maybe we've looked at four. Um, one is the idea that one is uh, angry at other people or other other things, and it ha- relates to God through that shared anger. Mm-hmm. One is um, feeling angry at God and relating to God through an anger at God. Um, and one is a withholding of anger at other human beings or other things and relating to God through that shared experience of withholding. And I think like this third quadrant is like the one that is maybe the most uplifting in a way. Hmm. Uh, because it you know it's still about like ultimately like we don't want people to be angry, but it allows for like having that feeling of anger be harnessed towards um, a connection with God. Um, the last one would be relating to God by saying I am angry at you, but I'm withholding my anger from you. Um, and my relationship with God is one of withheld anger. Um, and that, I, I think you're right, um, that you can read Yeslarak over um, as, as doing the same thing. That what he is saying is, um, I should by all rights be angry at you. Like, according to the letter of the law, what God has done to this world is despicable, and um, the only correct response it should be wrath. But what I'm going to do, kind of like as a expression of my humanity, is I'm going to make the choice not to do that. I'm going to make the choice not to be angry. And what this, what this does in a way is, is does towards God what, you know, makes the same move towards God that God makes towards people in the world's beginning. That God knows that people are these sinners and yet God still creates them. And yes, the says, I know that God is a sinner in a sense. I know that God does these horrible things, yet I will still love him. Um, and that's incredibly powerful um, to say that, I mean, and also like puts people in a position of like, uh, of real control to say like, you know, God's sins really put the ball in my court because by all rights, I should like break off relationship, but I'm not going to. Um, I think like this is an experience that people have toward, towards God sometimes. I think it's also an experience that people have like in various parts of their life towards like significant people who they say like you know I could be angry at this person, but I'm not going to be, um, and like I'm going to like you know you're talking about like being the better person. Um, I think that's part of this. Um, and what's interesting, and I'm, I'm really glad that you pointed out that like it can be read both ways, is that Yasser the Rakhavar seems to be that for God to say like um, I can actually I can actually do better uh, I can actually continue loving you through this kind of like assertion of my own um, my own freedom um, and I think like that you know one of the things that that plays throughout all these sources is, is also this notion that anger is associated with lack of free will mm-hmm. that um, you know like we looked in the Talmudic source at the beginning like 
what happens when you get angry? The evil inclination takes over, and like you kill your brother, or you sacrifice to idols, or you do all these things that you shouldn't be doing. What does it mean to control your anger? It means like to assert your will. Um, and that also suggests like what does it mean to have a will? To have a will means to do good. It means to like to be righteous, and it means in a sense like not just to you know react like stimulus response, like to do more than that. Um, so, well, I mean, one hopes that's what it, I mean. It at least opens that possibility, right? I mean, you can't, you know, I mean, this is like the, if you go back to King and Naval, it doesn't say that it, you will be its master. It says that you, you know, I mean, well, however, however you want to translate, you know, to Michelle Vaux. I mean, it's, it's, it's not, it's not you absolutely will be. It's right. You can be, you, or can, you may you, be, or. Yeah, you can't, you can't master it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it also suggests that, like, there are these very, um, like, the primality of anger um, and, like, the primality, like, the importance of withholding with anger also suggests that there are these, there are these very powerful moments in life where one has a choice between kind of doing what is expected and doing what is right, or doing what is good, maybe, is the better way of thinking about it. Um, and, like, those are the moments that matter. Like, those are the moments which lead to the creation of the world. Those are the moments which, like, you know, keep relationships alive. Um, and that maybe those moments aren't every day, but like those are the moments where one asserts one's life, where one asserts one's existence as being like an existence that matters. Um, and that I think the way that anger is described and also like the role of anger in the creation of the world, um, allows us to think about like those as being kind of key moments, like critical moments. Um, and that there is something like deeply, deeply divine about those moments, um, and that um, one can, at the very least, you know, say to God, like, you know, see, like, we feel the same thing. We feel the exact same way. Um, and, you know, maybe not like us, the rock ever say, like, you know, and I'm better than you because, like, I'm going to withhold my anger even though I should be angry. But at, but at least to say, um, you know, we're on the same page, like we like we feel the same primal thing, like we are. Yeah, those are two similar. very different things, right? I mean, like, and I and I like, how do you reconcile those two? I mean, they they seem like very different modes of. I mean, I, I guess they have this sort of common the common of withholding anger, but mm-hmm. they're sort of but just seem to have a, a different overall scheme. Well, I, th- I mean, I think what's different with Isla Rockover is that. When you express anger that God is feeling too, or you withhold anger that God is also withholding, you and God are kind of in sync. Mm-hmm. You're saying, like, you know, we're on the same page here. Yes, the rocker was doing something different. He's saying, like, God and I are totally not in sync. Um, God is, does seem to be, like, you know, just, like, letting loose. But at one point in the world, like, God was not like that. Like, at one point, God allowed for the creation of the world. Yeah. Um, so that is kind of, like, maybe that's relating to, like, what God could have been or, like, what God could be, which is, in a sense, like, what God does, too. Meaning, like, God says, like, yes, I know that people are going to sin, but they're also going to do all these great things. Yeah. And, like, that's worthwhile. Um, so this is also kind of, like, you know, the record, in a way, is, like, seeing the broader picture, like, seeing like, what is worthy in God, like, even in the Warsaw Ghetto, even in the Holocaust, um, seeing that there's something there. So, like, there's still, like, some, I think there's still some point of connection, but it's not connection in the moment. Uh, which one's, like, more powerful? I don't know, like, hopefully you're not in the circumstance where you feel like, you know, you would feel this intense uh, anger towards God. Um, But in those circumstances, I think there is something powerful about, like, you know, taking the reins and saying, like, you know, I'm not going to feel this way. Like, I'm not going to do this. 
I'm actually going to continue loving even regardless. Hmm. Um, yeah. Cool. That's a really helpful point you made. I like, totally did not occur to me, and I was like, I mean, I, I don't know the like context. That. I obviously no, haven't I read think, the rest no, of the book. No, I think but. you got exactly right. I think like that, you can think about Yasarak over that way too, um, depending on the way you read it. And I think like that's um, he's, he's making exactly that move of like I'm withholding, and that's I'm just holding, holding spite your actions. 